I, asked, I told you how I was going to begin the sermon a while ago. I said, if Christ needed defending, would you do so? I know you will say yes, but I, again I ask, have you done that? Have you defended him? And are you capable of defending him? Do you know what to say? Sometimes we are, sometimes we aren't quite ready. We know we live in a world system that defies the validity of who Christ is. It hates Jesus as a world system. We know that. We live in that kind of environment. And so we need to have men and women, boys and girls, who are ready to defend, ready to stand up for our Lord Jesus. I read a story in 1996 of an hijacked Ethiopian airline airplane in the Comoros Islands off of Africa. You may remember it. Uh, someone hijacked the airplane in those days and it ran out of fuel and crashed within sight of land. Most of the people drowned, unfortunately. But those that survived told of a man named, and he was a flight attendant named Andrew Meekins. And Andrew was an elder in the International Church of Christ of Addis Ababa, which is in Ethiopia. Well, as the plane was hijacked and they knew they were going to crash, Andrew Meekins stood up in front of the whole plane and told everybody to calm down. That's what flight attendants are supposed to do. And then he shared Christ. He said, it may well be that many of us are going to go meet the Lord in eternity in just a few minutes. And he shared the gospel. And one fellow flight attendant said over 20 people raised their hand and gave their life to Christ minutes before they would impact the ocean and go meet the Lord. I thought about Andrew Meekins, that Ethiopian who had the power and the presence of mind to stand up and share Jesus in such a crucial situation. I thought, well, would we have done that? Would I have done that after I stopped screaming like a little girl would I have shared Christ I hope and pray that I would have done so would you defend Christ would you be a witness for Christ now last week we looked in John 5 in verses 9 basically 15 through 29 if you'll remember and we saw Christ being confronted by the Jewish leaders and he said okay I plead guilty I am who you say I am. Yes, I claim to be co-equal with God. I am. I claim to be co-eternal with God. I am. All these things he said, yes, I am that person. But today we see other testimonies about who Christ is. And he brings in three witnesses. Three witnesses of who he is. And they're fascinating. So we're going to look at verses 30 through 47. Again, I'm preaching through the entirety of the Gospel of John. Started uh, in the end of June, and it will probably be next June before we finish. But stay with me, please. Come every Sunday. I want you to hear. And if you can't come every Sunday, it is on our website uh, somehow. I don't know how to get into all that stuff, but it's on there somewhere. Pebblecreek.church. It's on there. And we see Christ bringing in three witnesses. Now, again, let me before we read it, 
I've already told you the word witness is key in the Gospel of John. In fact, even in verse 31, he says, if I bear witness of myself. What is that word witness? I've told you it comes in the Greek from a great word that is the word martyreo, from which we get the English word martyr. Because many witnesses for Christ, particularly in the early days, became a martyr for Christ. So the word witness is the word martyreo, and it's used here. I told you already, it's used 47 times in the Gospel of John. It's a key word. Now let's look and see who are these three witnesses that Christ brings forth as if he's in a court of law and he's bringing witnesses. The Jewish law required that you bring two or three to testify to any action or misdeed. And so he brings in three witnesses. Let's look and see verse 30 and following. He says, I can do of myself nothing. If, as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have, been, you have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have a greater witness than John's. For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me. That's number two, isn't it? That the Father has sent me. Verse 37, and my father himself who sent me has testified of me. That's number three. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form, but you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent, him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life and these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me, that you may have life. I do not receive honor from men, but I know you, that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. How can you believe? Who receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from the only God. Do not think that I shall accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, in whom you trust. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But you do not believe his writings. How will you believe my words? My goodness, Christ speaks harshly to the Jewish leaders. But in his harsh speaking, we have a word that we need to hear today. For Christ does indeed speak of three witnesses of who he is. Again, the Jewish leaders were challenging who he was because he had claimed to be the Son of God, claimed to be co-equal with God in his honor, his work, etc. And we see the first witness that he calls is that man we've studied before, John the Baptist, or as some call him, John the Baptizer. Now, some of you are pretty ignorant about church history. Most of you are. And I want to clarify, John was not the first Baptist. 
I, I was in a, I heard a Sunday school teacher teach that one time in another state. And uh, this dear teacher said, I know you Baptists have a corner on the market. She was Methodist because John the Baptist was the first Baptist. Well, not technically. Our, our Baptist forefathers really come out of a Anabaptist tradition, not anti-ANA Baptist in the uh, 15 and 1600s, really predating the Protestant Reformation. And that's a whole other story for another time. But John the Baptizer was the first witness here that Christ says gives validity to who I am. We know that John the Baptist knew Christ, knew he was his cousin, by the way. We know that he knew who he was, and he faithfully declared who Christ was. He declared him as the Lord. He declared that he, John, was simply a predecessor to the ministry of Christ. He even used that beautiful phrase, I'm not even willing, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. So he lifted up Christ. He affirmed who he was. And Jesus says John was a burning and shining lamp. Isn't that what he calls him there in verse 35? It's a powerful affirmation of the ministry of John the Baptist. The Jewish people, by the way, were very excited about John at first. He came out of the desert. He was an odd-looking creature. Really, to be honest with you, if you're going to study the scholars who talk about this, he was the last of the Old Testament prophets. Yes, he was in the New Testament, but he was like the Old Testament prophets. The way he looked, he came out of the desert, a wild man, preaching the gospel. And they loved it at first. You see, uh, great communicators can draw a crowd, and many of them do. And there are some great crowds following some great communicators out there. But sometimes that initial followship is somewhat shallow. They come to see the show. But when John started talking about repentance... Then the crowds began to get a little cool. Then they began to kind of move away. And so Jesus even refers to this initial kind of excitement, but the latter falling away of the ministry of John the Baptist. They did not want to receive his message that was somewhat more difficult. But there was a group that did follow. The publicans, the sinners they came in droves to be baptized and to hear that message. And their hearts received it with joy, though the Jewish leaders did not receive with joy. And so we see that first witness is John the Baptist. Well, second, our, our Lord's second witness was the witness of his own ministry and miracles. We're going to see over the time seven great miracles of Christ in the first part of John. We've already seen a couple of them. And he says, those miracles that I performed were the works of the Father. As he said last week, if you have a problem with me, you got a problem with the Father. you got a problem with the Father. you got a problem with me. Now, we know the Bible records miracles performed by lots of ordinary people. Elijah, Moses, Paul, Peter. But none of them claimed to be the Son of God. Jesus said, my miracles attest not only to the fact that I was sent by God, they also attest 
to my divinity. The fact that Jesus made this claim backed up by these miracles is evidence that his claim is true. So as we said last week, he's either a liar or he's crazy or he is who he said he is. And I believe he is who he said he is. And his own miracles attest to who he was. The Father had given him a specific uh, ministry and he was fulfilling that ministry. He was on a divine timetable, but he also had a divine agenda. He said, I preach only the will of the Father. And since the Old Testament required two or three witnesses, he says, okay, there's two, but here's the third. Look at the third one and the most important. The third and final word that our Lord summoned for a witness to who he was was the Father himself. The Father himself. Look at verses 37 through 47 and we will see what he is saying there. Now the Jewish people revered the word of God. And again, some people don't understand that, you know, in the olden days, as my girls used to call it, when they thought that's when I grew up. But in the real olden days, how, how did you get a copy of the scripture? Well, it was copied by hand. And they were extremely careful about how they copied it. They revered the word so much. It's unbelievable the accuracy that was involved. For example, if you ever go to Israel with me, I'll take you to Qumran. Qumran is a place on the northwest uh, part. It's really the shore of the Dead Sea. And there are some caves that are there. And in cave number seven, it's called, they found the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1948. Thousands of scrolls. A Bedouin boy, a little shepherd boy was looking for his sheep. And he was doing what little boys do. He was playing around. And he was picking up rocks and throwing rocks. And he threw one in the cave and he heard something go crack. It was a piece of pottery that cracked. Being a little boy, he got up and went up in there and he saw all these things. He called another friend to come look at it and it was thousands of clay pots that held Essenes, who were another group, I'll tell you about some other time, had made these copies of scripture and other books and they found these things called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Well, if you go with me to Jerusalem, there's a museum called the Museum of the Book. Huge museum, very famous. And you can go into it and it has the copy of Isaiah they found in its entirety in the cave number seven. And guess what they found? That book they found in 1948 that was thousands of years old is the exact, and I mean exact, one that you have in your Bible today. I mean, they were so careful in their copying. And this went on even among the Catholics in the monastic period. The monks were extremely careful as they copied everything. And I mean, it was checked and rechecked and rechecked. It was a big deal. The Jews revered the word of God. But the Old Testament scriptures had told of Jesus coming. You got a Messiah that's coming. But why did they reject it? Why did they reject their own scripture that told of who Jesus was? Two reasons. 
One, they did not permit the Word of God to generate faith in their hearts. That's what he's saying right here. You didn't let the Word bring faith to you. The scribes sought to know the Word of God, but they didn't know the God of the Word. Listen to me. Did you hear what I just said? They sought to know the, the Word of God, but they never learned to know the God who wrote the Word. They were careful to follow the very letters. They would count them so carefully, but they missed the spiritual truths in the letters. And this is something that happened in 21st century. You can read the Bible as an academic, wonderful exercise and never let the truth of it impact your heart. You can get a big head full of all kind of Bible study knowledge. And I've seen people go to more Bible studies than anything in the world. But do they have a burning heart where the Word has touched inside? The Jews loved the Word, but they forgot to understand the God who wrote the Word. And then second, he says, there's a lack of love in your heart. You don't have the love of God in you. Verse 42, you don't have the love of God in you, he said. They claimed to love God, but their attitude toward Christ revealed that their love was counterfeit. It was not true. They did not honor the Son, verse 23, because He did not honor them as they thought He should. Wow. So He speaks a harsh denunciation of the Jewish leaders. Our Lord closed this penetrating sermon by warning the leaders that Moses, whom they revered, great Moses, someday is going to be used as a witness against you. Because though you claim he's the one you listen to, he gives attestation, he gives affirmation of me. And someday, his very words will be used against you in your own judgment. So the very scriptures they used to defend their religion would one day bear witness against them. Wow. You see, it's one thing to have the word of God in our hands, in our heads, but it's another thing to have it in our hearts. Jesus said three things give affirmation of who I am. Number one, the witness of John the Baptist. Number two, my own miracles. Number three, the Father himself. Our Lord was not intimidated by the accusations and the uh, incriminations from Jewish religious leaders. He was not intimidated at all. But before we judge them, before we could say how ridiculous they were, before we point out how silly they were not to understand, we need to look at ourselves as well. We have in our own lives the tendency to allow traditions to supplant the truth of Christ in our lives. Sometimes we end up going to church to love church more than we love the God of the church. I've seen people who would rather keep church the way they want to keep church and let their own grandchildren go to hell rather than change what they like about church. Friends, we can get into the same habit that the Jewish leaders got into. Are we permitting religious tradition to bind us to the truth of God's word or to open it up? Are we so involved in Bible study we fail to see Jesus Christ in the Word that we are studying? Does our knowledge give us a big head or does it give us a burning heart? Will you testify for Christ? Will you stand for Him and say, I believe 
as we talked about last week, that he is the prophetically predicted virgin-born, pure-living, vicarious, dying, bodily resurrected, gloriously ascended, presently interceding, soon to return Son of God. And he is who he said he was. Will we testify for him? Is he the Lord of our life? Is he the Lord of our family? Is he the Lord of our workplace? Is he the Lord? That is a question you must answer today. Will you testify for him at school, in the workplace, in your own home? Have you accepted Christ? Now what do you think I mean by that? Oh, we've heard it our whole lives. You know, I've actually had people say, well, all you got to do is say, Jesus is Savior Lord, and you'll be saved. Is that really all it takes? Really? Is it just quoting some magical formula? Oh, no. It is a heartfelt belief and a turn in life to say, I give my life to you, God. Please take me. Yes, I believe, but that belief is more than an intellectual assent. It is a change of life. It is a giving of one's life to the Lord. Have you accepted him? The entire fifth chapter of the Gospel of John shows that he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the one who came to save us today in 2019. He was not a liar. He was not a fool. He was not mentally unstable. He was and is the Son of God. Give him your life. Pray with me. Father God, in Jesus' name we come. And I pray, Lord, that every man, woman, boy, and girl here today would say yes to you. Oh God, we believe. And it's more than just an intellectual statement. We believe that Jesus is your Son, the Messiah. And we affirm that together even today. And we ask this prayer in Jesus' name, amen.